This is the Employee Experience and Education Podcast, the teacher retention podcast for school leaders, and I'm your host, Eric Brainsetter. In this podcast, we'll speak with educational leaders, former educators, and industry experts to better understand the employee experience in education. Our goal is to equip school leaders with realistic and actionable strategies to keep more teachers in the classrooms. On this episode, we'll speak with Kara Holt, who is currently a manager of sales communication and training at BrainPop, and a former teacher, instructional coach, and assistant principal. Today, Kara will share her thoughts on her identity as a teacher, the reality of work from home, and the reason she and seven of her colleagues resigned at the same time. All ideas expressed are that of Kara Holt and do not represent her company in any way. Kara, thanks so much for joining us today. I'd love to learn more about your own employee experience in education, some of your background, what you're doing now. But before we get to that, do you mind just talking a little bit about yourself, personally, professionally, whatever you want to share? And then why did you choose to become an educator? Yeah, for sure. So I started um, teaching now 20 years ago, which sounds absolutely insane. I loved being around kids. I had been a nanny. I had um, worked at a a fitness center as a daycare attendant. Like I'd been around kids my whole life. Like that was just something I was very passionate about. And so I went into um, be a teacher. It's actually funny. I was going to be an elementary ed, but um, I went to observe a fifth grade classroom and he had me teach math. And I said, okay, I'm going to change it to early childhood. And <laughs> that's when I learned like early childhood was really for me. And so I loved like helping kids love school. So I really loved like that kindergarten, first grade, like that was my sweet spot. And um, that was like really like my passion. And I'm still very passionate about early childhood. That's something that I don't think will ever leave me. Um, I'm very passionate about kids just loving school and creating that level learning in students. And so I've done everything. I was an instructional coach. I was an administrator. Um, I was a teacher leader for our district. So I represented um, back when it was elevating and celebrating teachers and teaching from the Bill and Melinda Gates Education Foundation. I was heavily involved in switching our district from a top down, like district led to teacher led. So everything kind of came from our teacher perspective. And so like our teachers led our professional learning, our teachers led um, district trainings. So it was very, very um, teacher driven, which was what led me to have my um, specialist degree in teacher leadership. And I even planned state conferences with ESET and national was involved in our national event as well, just because I was very, very passionate about teacher leaders. Like I really believe that, you know, teachers have the ability to positively affect our students and each other. So that like was a very big piece of, of who I was in, in my career. Yeah, that's great. Now, I know you have a bit of a unique journey getting to where you are right now. And part of that is going to be in, in this conversation, kind of reliving some of the things that have happened to you, right? So I think it's important to share that this is your unique experience. It's not the experience of everybody. Um, I know you you have some stories to tell around some of the reasons why you left education. And none of this is meant to be, you know, putting down of a team, of an administrator, of a school or a district. So I wanted to get that out here. This is, again, this is your individual story. Everybody will experience something different. Um, and you mentioned, too, you have a wide range of experiences of what you've done, going from teacher to teacher leader, now into the professional world outside of education. Most of your career was spent in K-2. Can you talk about what it was like for you as a teacher? So as you think back and you think about all the kids you impacted, think about, again, this idea of I chose to leave. What was your experience like as a teacher? As a teacher, I 
absolutely loved it. Like I embraced it from um, day one. I became a teacher leader very early. Um, I think my third year of my career, I was already leading professional learning for teachers. I was very much part of that engagement, like engaging the students before, like engagement was really that buzzword. It was just really something I believed in. I believed in my students, like, you know, hands-on and collaborating and um, all those Kagan techniques. Like I was very big on trying to get my students up and moving and not sitting and uh, really like having that like exciting experience about school. I didn't want them to like dread coming there. I wanted them to really love being there. And so as a teacher, uh, I remember when the rubric changed, I think it was when the standards changed and the rubrics changed at the same time. And we were all learning how to unpack standards. And that was like a really big thing. I had an administrator observe me and it was the first time I'd ever gotten anything other than like above average. Uh, She said, you know, my students were coming up to the smart board one at a time. And she said, all your students weren't engaged. And I was like, what does she mean? Like, they can't all run up to the smart board at the same time. What does that look like to engage your students, like all of your students being engaged? And so I really had to, like, take a step back and say, okay, if I'm not engaging my students, what does that look like? Okay, it looks like everybody has a whiteboard and they're answering their, you know, they're answering on the whiteboard while somebody comes up to the board so that, you know, they're not sitting there and just watching that there's time where they're actively, actively involved in that process. So, you know, I was big in that movement, that change of, you know, engagement and rigor. I also worked in a school that was almost a state takeover school. So we had the state in and out of our classrooms, um, you know, and one of the things I had asked my administrator, I said, does my classroom look right? You know, when the state came in, does it look right? You know, were they happy? Because I was always big on having my students stand up and say the objectives and like really involved. And she said, you know, I don't even want to tell you, like, I just don't want to tell you. And I said, tell me what happened. And she said, the state wasn't happy because you didn't have um, your procedures posted. But I said, but we went over the procedures, like we went over them verbally. And she was like, yeah, she's like, don't worry about it. Don't put up your, like, I know what you're doing. Your procedures are evident. Your kids know their procedures. Don't worry about it. But that was something like, you know, that affected me. I was like, hi, I I know I'm doing these things. So I really took everything to heart. Like I wanted everything to be right for the kids. Like that was just something that was a big part of who I was. And even when um, one of my best friends, I met her and, you know, I said, you know, what does your rubric look like here? Like, what are the things that like they really see as as valuable in the classroom? And she was like, I don't know. You know, I just do this thing. And I said, well, you know, like I really believe in students knowing the standards and unpacking the standards themselves, even at the kindergarten level and really setting goals. That was before like anybody really had their students like set goals and have like those data binders. And so um, she was like, well, I'll give it a try for a year. And she had the highest growth and the highest achievement that year. She was like, that's where like I made her believer and now she's a reading coach. So, you know, it was it was just like that infectious, like making everybody want to love the profession and, you know, do it for the students. Like really having that impact on education as a whole was a big part of who I was as a teacher. Yeah. And I know you made a tremendous amount of impact with those kids. And it's not just the kids, it's the colleagues that were learning from you and with you. So what I heard you just say is a lot of glowing things about your experience in education. Yet here you are outside of education. What what happened maybe after those first few years? Did you change schools? Was it different leadership? How what what kind of started that transition for you? Yeah, so I believed that in order to make an impact on a broader scale that your path was to get a master's in leadership 
Um, I even served as a dean and I absolutely hated the job as a dean. I was like, this is like sucking my soul. Like I really felt like it was, it was killing me from the inside out. Like I didn't believe in, I don't believe in punishment. I believe in like redirection. And so it was a whole, like trying to change, um, a landscape that I wasn't quite ready for. And so I just believe that those were stepping stones. Like, right. You go out of the classroom, you're an instructional coach, you're a Dean, and then you're an assistant principal. Like that's what you do to make your impact on a broader scale. And so I finally got that role as an assistant principal and I moved my entire family two hours away um, for a role as an assistant principal. And what I learned is that not, you know, and I knew working as a teacher that not all leaders are the same. Like there were leaders that I absolutely loved working under. And then there were leaders that I did not, you know, agree with. Our pedagogies were very different. So when I became an assistant principal, I was working under an administrator that um, not only like did not share my belief system and how, you know, I wanted things to be with our staff or with our students, but um you know, was misappropriating funds. Like there was just some really things happening that I learned later that, you know, human resources kind of put me there to start to figure these things out. And um, so it was, it was a very hard transition for me as a new administrator. And so um, I was doing my, my thing. I was doing what I love to do, which was having that impact on teachers. And I was giving my back to school address to my staff to really like pump them up for the beginning of the school year. Even though all these things were kind of happening to me behind the scenes, they didn't, you know, I, I tried to shelter them from that as much as I could as the, as the leader. And um, when I was doing that, someone was there from NWEA getting ready to do our product training for our, for the assessment, for the map growth assessment. And she came up to me and she goes, that was absolutely phenomenal. However, have you ever thought about doing what I do? And at that time, I was like, no, I don't even know what you do. Like, I didn't even know that there was a world outside of, you know, the traditional school system. I really hadn't thought about, like, where does our curriculum come from or these products that I love? Like, who's behind them? I didn't even think about the fact that educators are in those roles. So it wasn't until like sometime later that the roles really started affecting my, my mental health. And I had to decide, you know, this is just not right for me to be in this role. Um, they had offered to switch me to a different school while everything else was under investigation. And um, at the time, like I would have had to move my kids again anyway. And I just thought, you know what, this is just... I just need to take a step back. I need to take a step back and really reflect and figure out what I'm going to do. And um, it it just really, it was a time of great reflection. You know, like you think, like, I don't think people really understand, like sometimes when you're transitioning, everything, my whole identity was wrapped up in, in being a teacher. You know, I'm still very passionate about students, but I loved being a teacher. I loved being um, helping teachers. I love that instructional coaching role. And I really saw that as an administrator. And so when I left, seven teachers left with me. So the day that I left, it was very, like, very emotional. And so um, I'm still very close with some of them. Like some of them still message me and, and we keep in touch. But it was it was just a very hard transition. And so I took a step back and took that time to really think about what am I going to do? And I thought, I remember this lady. She said something to me about her role. What did she do? And trying to figure that out, like, 
consultant, professional learning, like all these words, you know, like for professional development um, and what that role looked like, you know, I had never really considered. So that was something that um, opened my eyes. I took some time to really think about what am I good at? Well, I'm good at talking in front of people. I'm good at doing professional learning. So what does this look like for a role? And so that's where it led me to a role in, in professional learning first. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing how how one leader can impact so many people. Right, so it's you and seven other people that left at the same time. I doubt you created some coop where you were talking with groups of teachers like, hey, let's all get out of here at the same time, right? So instead, what those teachers saw was I'm going to an environment that's not a positive for me, right? I'm not, I'm not getting fulfilled. You know, I'm still working with kids, but there's all these other stressors and anxieties that are placed upon me. Um, so I know you talked about, you know, there was some, some legal stuff that was happening, what about, can you talk about the environment itself? What was that environment like as a teacher? And at what point did you, and maybe this was early on, I'm not sure, but at one point did you realize, okay, something is off here. What was kind of that that process for you? Yeah, so um, I had, before that, I had worked with an administrator that she and I just had such a great connection, you know? So when you have that person that you really, um, have a good connection with. And, and I was like an assistant principal, but our school was too small. So it was more of a stipend role of like an administrative assistant, but serving with her for those years. And really we pulled the school grade up, like everything was very positive. So really turning that around and then going to this experience where I wasn't working with someone that saw things the same way. It was very hard. Like she even came, like my old administrator even came to visit me at that school. So you feel like, um, like, teachers didn't have the right amount of equipment. They didn't have, like some teachers didn't have books. So in that environment, it was like, how can kids learn, right? If we don't have these basic things and the teachers don't have their basic needs met, then um, how can we set them up for success? And so like, that was a very hard thing for me because I was trying to fight against those systems and really try and get my teachers what they needed. And so they'd come to me and tell me all these things. And then I'd be told like, oh, there's nothing you can do about it or, you know, this, this is how it is by my administrator. So it was very much like an, an oppressive system for me. And teachers felt that as well. Like they just couldn't do what they needed to do. And so that's where, you know, I was just like, I, I don't enjoy coming to work. I feel very stressed. Um, my administrator gave me, um, would give me these directives every day. And so like one of them, one of my directives was I was not allowed to talk to the school resource officer. So he was trying to fill me in on like, what are, um, safety protocols were or like how we were going to run certain things. And I was not allowed to speak to him. Like it was just strange directives that kept like coming down. And, and each day I kind of got came to school with another directive. Like now you are. And I think like one of my things was now you're going to be in the cafeteria all day. Like that's all you can do. You can't walk around classrooms. You can't like, I guess, cause the fear of change and what mm -hmm. I was going to, to do was, great. And so like, as things happened, like more directives got put down and I was like, okay, I can't like live in the cafeteria all day. Like I love seeing the students, but like I, this is not going to work for me. Was it similar for teachers then? Were there certain like restrictions like that for teachers as well? Yeah. I mean, they didn't have it as, as bad as I had it, I think, but like they were just like lacking resources and they, they'd come to me and they knew that I couldn't do anything to change, change it. You know, like I wasn't telling them what was happening, obviously behind the scenes, like they didn't know how bad it was, 
But it was hard, like when you have that relationship where you really can't talk to your administrator, or your hands are tied, like they see that, you know, like I didn't have to say anything, like it was just obvious. And like, um, you know, even like talking at school functions or anything like that, I wasn't allowed to do any of those type of things. So like, it just looked very muffled. And so, um, but they knew like what ideas I'd come with because I'd shared them at like our back to school address and like things that before those things started happening. So it was just um, as time went on and they were like, I like these ideas or I want to do these things or I see that she's trying to help me and she can't. So it just kind of um, was just like a natural, like they were seeing the struggle too. And I think that that affects culture, right? So there was this huge effect on culture because, because of how this was kind of happening. Yeah. What's funny at the very beginning, you mentioned as a teacher, you want to create an environment where your kids don't dread coming to school. And I can imagine you're at a point now where you were dreading coming to school, the exact antithesis of what you were trying to do as an educator, but as an administrator should be able to really set that foundation, you know, leverage things that make the culture better. But there was a lack of autonomy, a lack of empowerment for you to be able to do the things that you're passionate and and excel at. Yeah, I definitely dreaded coming to school. Like um, my son saw me crying after school one day, like at home. And that was it for me. I just, that was like, he was like, what can I do to help you? Like, and I just couldn't hide it from him anymore. And so that was kind of my, I need to step away from the situation. It got, it got pretty intense and pretty emotional. And I think for your first experience as an administrator, you know, like as you're trying, you know, like very, very excited about and very passionate about students and changing um, education on a broader scale. And like, you know what things work because you've done it in the classroom and you've done it as an instructional coach. And at that point, I'd helped turn around two, two schools. One was almost an F and changed to a B in one year and the other one about the same. So like I'd already had these like huge impacts and these huge wins to be in the situation where I didn't like I just felt powerless. Like it was just a very emotional time. Like it was just very disheartening. And I think like for me, I know like it created a bit of a like a mental crisis because like I like I, this is what I wanted to do. This was everything that I believed that I should do in education. Uh, never in a million years did I think like I'd ever step out and have this like other world. Like I'm very thankful and happy now because everything worked out really well. But at the time, like it was just what do I do now? Like, I don't know what to do. Like, it was very much, I don't know what to be when I grow up, <laughs> you know, like, and I, and I'd worked this hard, like at this point, I invested this much for my education and really put everything into it. And so stepping out was like a very big decision that wasn't made lightly. How much in your mind were you battling? I still want to be administrator. Or was it more, this experience was so bad that I have to find something else? Yeah, it was that. It was it was so bad. And I had, um, you know, the teachers that ended up leaving with me, they were like, you are so good at this. Like, this is what you're called to do. Like, we love you. Like, they even, um, a couple went to the school that they were offering to transfer me to. And like, they were calling me and saying, like, no, you have to come to this school. Like, you have to, you have to. And I said, I just, I don't think I can. I just remember just being like, I, I can't, like, I love you. And I know you're going to do amazing things, but I just, I can't go there. And so it, I, I would say like in everything, it just broke me. Like I was just really in a, a you know, a broke, a place of brokenness. And so um, it was just a really hard thing to recover for. It was just like, I'm not meant to be an administrator. And I just like backed away, you know, whereas I don't think it was necessarily that now that I like reflect and look back, like I think that I probably would have made an amazing administrator, but that experience was just so rough that 
um, it was really hard to recover from. Yeah. And you, you mentioned something about you've lost your identity, right? Because you've been an educator for so long and then you get to the point where you're going to school and you feel broken inside and you're going home and you're crying and you're seeing, you know, your family witness you crying. So there's this, so a a concept called um, IR theory, which is what's my identity versus what's my role. And a lot of times teachers, and I, we had a, a guest recently that talked about, she was a special education teacher very similar sentiment where she was going to school and hers was more of, you know, high expectations. I can't put in enough hours, no matter what I do, I can't get ahead. But she had this, this IR kind of break as well, where she went home crying, you know, every day for a year and a half and said, finally, I have to do something else for this. So there's your identity, which is who am I as a person? And then there's your role, which is I'm a teacher, I'm a parent, I'm a insert, whatever here. I can imagine And, you know, I I used to be a teacher myself. You go to school for teaching, you spend several years teaching. That kind of becomes, your role becomes your identity because I am a teacher instead of today I'm a teacher, but on the weekends I'm something else. So how how did this identity versus role kind of come into play as you made your transition? Because you know you wanted to stay in education. You wanted to help impact students and teachers. How did this role of teaching help you transition into something else? Yeah. And I think that that's a good point too, because as a teacher, most of the time, like your identity still is a teacher on the weekends because you have so many tasks that are still weekend related tasks, um, which I think has been like almost like a recovering teacher trying to figure out what, what does that mean to not have to work or worry about work on the weekends? But um, for me, it was really hard. Like I knew I wanted to stay in education. Some transitioning teachers, you know, they'll go into IT or they'll go into something else. Um, with those transferable skills. But for me, I knew that I needed to still be in education. So it led me, like I said, I was looking for something that I knew I was good at. And I knew I was good at professional learning. I knew I was good at training and teaching. And that was something that I could be successful at. So I looked for things that were in line with those roles. And what you find is like a lot of contract work, you know, which I was totally outside of, like I was always used to having a salary since I stepped out of college. And so now I'm a contractor and I only get paid when I work. And so, you know, I still have my family that's relying upon me. And so that was hard in itself. But for me, I really wanted to be involved in in training teachers. And so I picked up a a role at Lauren Zillion where I was curriculum training and going to districts and schools and really training um, not only teachers, but district staff and school staff on like the programs and how it was going to benefit students and teachers. And like, I remember my most uh, favorite professional learning experience there was really teaching on how to use assessments and like which assessments to look at and why, how to engage students in the assessment process, how do students goal set relating to those lessons. And that was fun to me. Like I get really excited about those kind of things. And so once I'd done professional learning, NWEA had an opening for a virtual trainer, similar um, training on their product. And so I stepped into that and then they had a full-time role where they were, it was a trainer of trainers. So uh, where I was actually training the people that was doing the professional learning. So like one thing leads leads to another, leads to another. And so um, our product that I was responsible for was something that was totally new to uh, NWA. It was uh, on assessment literacy and formative assessment. So I ended up accidentally (laughs) training the sales team, which led me to my position at BrainPop. So like one thing kind of snowballed into the other, but um, I really wanted to stay in that space of teaching, learning, growing, doing. And that's where at BrainPop, I feel like I still have that impact. 
I still have that connection to education. I'm still helping uh, when I help the sales team understand our products. I'm really helping them to go out and talk to district leaders and talk to school leaders and feel really good about representing our product and how our product can change students' lives for the better. So that's really like it's still very rooted in who I am and in you know the trainings that I do now. Yeah. Yeah, so in, in the, the pre-podcast questionnaire, you mentioned a couple of things. I'll kind of just read um, some of the words that you put. So you mentioned it's important to hold on to your why when things get hard or when you've made the decision that you want to transition from the classroom. But you also say working from home comes with its own set of challenges, right? Yeah. Easy to get caught up, yeah. locked away in my home office. I love your LinkedIn posts where you share, here's my family and me working all at the same time. Or here's what it's actually like, right? So there is there is the reality of it. And then there is the, I don't want to say the grass is always greener because sometimes you're in situations like you're in where you dread going to work, right? Like one of our previous guests who dreaded going to school every day. But the reality is sometimes it's like entrepreneurship, right? You read lots of stories about people that start their own business. Well, what you don't hear is 95% of people who end up failing at their business that end up having to work two or three jobs on the side while trying to run their own. Like there's a lot of complexity that's behind the scenes. So can you talk a little bit about your outside of, of traditional K-12 experience and then how similar or dissimilar it is it was to your expectation? Yeah. So it's funny because I do a lot of those posts because I get a lot of messages every week on LinkedIn. Like I get so many messages from teachers that are wanting to transition. And the one that I see the most, and I really wanted to make a post about it. And I, I did a couple of weeks ago was the post from a teacher that's like, I want to work at home. Like I want a remote job so that I can stay home with my kids. And I'm like, oh, it gets me every time they say that. Because one, when you're transitioning, you're learning an entire new role. Like you're learning something completely outside of your comfort zone. It's not something like usually a teacher goes into something like sales or marketing. You know, there are transferable skills, but you are learning a whole lot of new skills and you're learning a product and you're learning how to position it. And it's completely different than anything you did in traditional ed. So I think there's this false expectation of like it's easy to work from home because there is absolutely no way. And I tried it during COVID where I was working and trying to also be a mom. It's very, very difficult. So I have twin one-year-olds and they have a nanny. Like they're the decision was a nanny or daycare because there has to be childcare, you know, and there are some days, like you said, that, you know, the nanny's sick or there's, you know, something where I have to work. And I do have that flexibility where I can tell everybody, hey, you know, I don't have childcare today. It's going to be a rough day. I'm going to be in and out. But you're home. So you're making up those hours, like when the babies go to sleep or, you know, like there's other times that you're working. There's so many times um, that I'm, I find myself working from my phone you know, whether it be in the school pickup line or, you know, so there is that little bit of flexibility. I do miss being at school with my kids, you know, like where when you get to go to school with your kids, that's a great experience. But like there, there is no separation from home and work. You know, I work where I am. So there's always that you can go back to it. Um, you know, you can finish it at another time. Uh, there's no like dead set at the end of the day, you know, other than I try and like, once my kids get home, that's where my day starts to wind down. I'm trying to get as much done as I can earlier. And I work through lunch. So um, like, I think that there might, there's sometimes this ideation that you're going to go like have these great lunches, and you're going to have an hour to eat. And like, no, like my protein shake is at my desk, you know, so um, that is, you know, like, I, there's just not that 
get up. And so there are times where I literally sit at my desk for six hours. You know, that's not necessarily the expectation of my company, but I have to get things done or, you know, I want to get things done before my kids get home. So I just think it's not necessarily that it's, I think sometimes they think it's less work and it's not less work. It's different. Um, It's just how the work is, is, you know, or, or where you're working from. Yeah. I have two kids, two boys, seven and 10, and we have e-learning days once a month. Oh, and I, I, bless you. I, I dread, I hate to say this out loud. I dread those days for yeah. a variety of reasons. One, so I'm, I'm at my home office right now, you know, doing the podcast. So I'll be working, trying to maintain some amount of, and my two boys are amazing. Like my 10 year old, completely responsible. He would complete all of his e-learning in an hour and a half straight if he could. And he'd wake up, go up from and just have red eyes, like, cause he's been staring at a screen forever. So my wife's also an educator. So we have two educators or one former, one current educator at home with our kids e-learning days. Like, oh, this should be simple. It's never simple. It's not. And, no. And almost every day can be like that if you work from home because there's constant changes. There's constant in other people's schedules too. They see you as, oh, Carol, you work from home. Hey, come help me with this, whatever this is. Like, no, the reality is I'm working right now. I can't just leave and go somewhere else. So I, there is that common kind of misconception of what work from home is like. But at the same time, you have educators that are dreading going to school. And my goal is that we talk to enough educators, bring enough awareness to this idea of the employee experience that school leaders are stopping and saying, okay, you know, I, I know we put a lot of emphasis on here's the next thing, the next thing, the next thing for education. Why don't we take a step back and prioritize and start to figure out what are those things that we need to be working on right now? What are the things that we should drop because there's no empirical data showing that we're making progress in student achievement and whatever the outcome is. So there's, there's definitely a lot to work from home. I feel blessed that I have the ability to do that, but the transition was real. The, the struggles are, are certainly real. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like I still have that. I have, you know, good days and rough days, even when, um, you know, you're not going into an office or, but there's still like, you're still working. So, you know, you're still feeling that. And it's a different, different kind of stress. I do feel very blessed. I, I love it. And I'm, I love that I'm still in education, but uh, like you said, it's about the leadership, like really good teachers need to be teaching. Like I worry about my kids. Like if I have a 12 year old and a 10 year old, and then I have twins. So like, they're all going through the education system. And if all the good teachers transition like what is going to be left for them? And that is the biggest fear of mine, like that all the good teachers are going to go, they're going to find new roles. And then there's, there's just like, no, what, you know, like in here in Florida, we're looking at like untrained people going to take over classrooms. So is that what our future is like? Like, what is our future like if everybody leaves? So I am really involved in wanting to know, like, what can we can do for teacher retention? How can we keep good teachers where they are. That's something that, you know, is very much in my heart because I care about who my kids have, you know, like who they, you know, that they have somebody that's really wanting to be there. That is that teacher that I was, that wants to engage them, that wants, you know, that, that just loves being there. And it makes it really hard if your administrator does not want you to love being there or is, is coming across that way, whether they mean to or not. Yeah. Yeah. I talk a lot about helping teachers feel heard, supported, and valued. Mm-hmm. I think if and when we start focusing on that, and I think it's it's always been about the kids. Our first episodes with Jason Cochran, who's an employee experience expert, and he's a former educational psychologist. He talked a lot about, you know, it's always been about the kids. And that's absolutely right. 
But what is it that impacts the kids the most? It's the adults, it's the teachers. So the way, the way to reach those students is through the teachers. And if we have, and you had a, a, a teacher leave, uh, one of your kids' teachers leave, is that right, last year? Mm-hmm. I did. I did in the middle of the year in January. Oh. And that's not, it's not an uncommon thing. And it affected your kid, affected all of the kids in the classroom, and affected the entire school. Because then you're trying to figure out as an administrator, how do we cover for this class? Do we find somebody who's non-licensed to bring in here? Do we rotate these people? Do we have a permanent sub? If so, where do we even find those people? Yeah. And that was my biggest fear. Like when she left, I'm like, you know, I emailed the principal right away because she is a she's a good friend of mine. And I was like, what's going to happen? Is it going to be a sub? You know, like those are the things that you worry about because you you're like, okay, you know, he's getting ready to do testing. And as much as we want to say that testing, you know, doesn't matter. We don't want that emphasis just to be on standardized tests. Right now it affects his future and whether he's in remedial classes or whether or not he can take electives when he gets to middle school or, you know, what his path is. And so it does matter. It matters, you know, like all of the things matter. And so really trying to, you know, keep those teachers there, but I didn't blame her. Like I I understood, you know, when she needed to go, but it was so hard on him and he was in tears and then, you know, like missing his teacher and talking about that. And and so trying to navigate that um, for him, you know, and then also being worried about his education, it was, it was a huge struggle. And that was like, even when I go in to meet the teacher night, like that's like my number one like concern is like, are they going to stay? Are they going to hang, you know, be here? Cause like, especially like you hear, you're like, Oh, you know, you have such and such and they're so amazing. And like, they totally transformed my child's life. And then you're like, please stay, <laughs> you know, like, so I try and send gift cards and I try and like send things to like make their day better. Any little thing that I can do as a parent to say, I appreciate you because I want them to feel appreciated. I want them to feel supported. I want them to know, like I'm here to help. And if, you know, for whatever reason, if my kid got in trouble, which thankfully they don't, but like I, you know, 100% take the teacher's side because I've been on the side where they're like, well, my kid doesn't do anything wrong. Well, you know, hear the teacher out and really making them feel understood, like you said, heard and valued because that's so important. And so any little thing I can do as a parent from that role to make them feel supported, I try and do. Absolutely. So can you talk about your work that you're doing now at Brain Pop? Yeah. So um, as I said, I kind of got transitioned into um, training sales, like on, I I say on accident, because, you know, I really was working with our sales team to position formative assessment and assessment literacy through NWEA. And so Brain Pop is a company I have always used and loved. And um, if you know Moby and our characters, and you know that, like, we are building essential skills through our movies, like that's something that um, children can relate to. And they can grow from. And so uh, when I saw the opening, I was like, I could totally do that and love that. And so applied and really got um, lucky. Like people ask me all the time, like, how did you get into Brain Pop? Um, I revamped my resume 552 times. I don't really know how I got lucky enough to be seen and heard, but um, very thankful for that experience. So what I do is I train our sales team on how to position our products. So I'm actually on a marketing team, which I never saw myself in marketing or as a marketer. If you still ask me what I do, um, I'll say a teacher. And then people ask you, well, what do you teach? And then you're like, okay, this is where it gets complicated, <laughs> like the sales team. Um, and so 
that's what I do. I'm I'm a teacher of our sales team and making sure that they understand, you know, how our products work and that uh, how they, you know, best work for students, how students engage in them, and really that language alignment through our company, so that everybody's talking about it the same way, so that when we have those conversations with district and school leaders, we're understanding the impact that BrainPop makes in the classroom and how to get that across. Because I think a lot of people hear BrainPop and they think, oh, but just in the movie people, there's so much more to it than that, and so. Um, there's so many ways that our movies like build uh, literacy skills behind the scenes. And so really helping them to understand that so that when sales has those conversations, they're able to better position it. So that's what I do now. I still teach. I just teach our sales team. <laughs> well, and you, you use a lot of empathy in your position right now, right? It's just like as a teacher, understanding your each of your kids and where they are and how they are. It's the same thing with products. It's the same thing with I'm going out and talking to school representatives. I need to understand the problems, you know, in the market, here's our positioning for this. It's all empathy, just like you, just like you use all the time as a teacher. A hundred percent. And like right now is our back to school season. And so, um, you know, creating certification programs, I'm very passionate about, but, you know, listening to leadership too, saying like, we need you to back off for just a little bit until we can get through back to school season. And then, um, and then bring them back, like really hearing like what everybody needs and taking like our back to school season is just as busy as like a teacher's because like that's when things are happening um, in ed tech world. So like really understanding like when to push forward and when to like relax a little bit so that they have their space to breathe as well, because, you know, everybody in the education world like needs that. They need that space to to be able to grow and do their job without like all these mandates or things coming on them. So. Yeah. So let, let's wrap up a little bit. Um, what is one action or strategy that you hope school leaders take from your message today? Yeah. Um, positivity. Like I feel like, you know, leaders really need to trust their teachers. Like, you know, you go to school to be a teacher, you know, it, it's a very, uh, it's a profession where you've put a lot of time and energy and to really trust their teachers to, um, be professionals. I think that that's so important is to give them that space and just to be positive and to know like they're going to do what's best for the kids, like really building them up to know that they have the grace and space to try things. Really just that being positive message. And like, I think, you know, especially with walkthroughs, it can feel like a gotcha. Like, no, I'm just here to support you. Like, how can I support you? Like really coming in with that mindset of, Um, not making them feel intimidated when you walk in the room, but like, really like, I'm just here to watch you do your thing. And I know you can do your thing and it's going to be amazing. You know? And I think like the more we build them up or provide them that support, like sometimes if it's not amazing, like what kind of support can you help to provide for them? Because, you know, like as a coach, we did coaching cycles and really getting them into other teachers rooms so that they could see each other because that doesn't really get to happen that often. So like, how can you provide the support to help them grow? Um, Because I know like, if you just kind of put that hammer down, like nobody likes that, you know, kids don't like that. Teachers don't like that, especially after you do, you know, you're a professional, you know, you have a degree in this and to feel like, you know, the hammer is being put on you because you're not doing something the way that they want you to really going at it a different way of like, how can we grow and learn together? Uh, Something that I didn't realize that I did when I was a coach is I always said, we like, no matter what the problem was, I was always saying we, and somebody pointed out to me and they're like, that is like monumental because you're always making them feel like we're together. You're never making them feel like you need to do. It's always, we're going to do like, how are we going, going to work on this together? So I think that that's really important, like really, and like not, Um, hiding anything like data was always something that was big that I like 
we worked on it together. So we'd have these state of the school addresses where I'd show our data and like we'd talk about it. And then we'd say like, okay, here's our gaps. How can we problem solve? So like one of our ways was our first grade teacher was really good at teaching middle school math. So I would go into her reading block. I would help facilitate that so that she could go and like take a small group of our, you know, seventh and eighth graders and teach them those math skills that they were missing. So sometimes thinking outside of the box so that you can problem solve. And when you see it as like, this is our problem collectively as a school, and we're not going to grow unless we're all working together, I think makes a huge difference. Yeah, interesting. And you're living proof, you and the seven teachers that left at the same time, you're living proof that laying the hammer down, to use your words, is not the right environment. That's not the employee experience that educators are looking for. They want to feel heard, supported, and valued. And you can do that as a leader by treating people as people. I love this idea of the we versus you or we versus I. This is a collective. We are a team together. We're solving the same problem together. Let's do it as a team and start using that inclusive language. That's awesome. Yeah. And I even did that in the classroom. That's one of, um, I talk about, and, um, I wrote a book on goal, like, or I have a section of a book in goal setting. And I talk about that we versus you, because even as a class, you know, we have, I can statements instead of doing, I can, it's, we will, because as a classroom community, we're all working together. So it was important as a classroom. It's important as a teacher, like that collectiveness is, is what's going to get us through. Yeah. Do you have any celebrations you want to share with the audience today? So, I mean, I am working on a book with Gibbs Publishing on assessment, so I'm super excited about that. Um, how to empower students and teachers using assessment and goal setting. Um, also is featured in a book written by Dr. Jason Nordegren on goal setting. Um, that can all be found in my LinkedIn. So those are super exciting things. And then I get to be featured on this cool podcast. So. <laughs> and you kind of went to the next question, which is if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way? You just mentioned LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn's a great way to get a hold of me. I mean, leveraging LinkedIn, and that's usually the first place if teachers are like, how can I start to, you know, really see other teachers and connect with other educators and really help to solve these problems? I feel like LinkedIn is the place to do that. So much different than like Facebook, where you have your friends and family. It's really that um, you're connecting with people on a professional level. And so uh, I can be found at Kara Holt and then comma EDS. So that was where you will find me and definitely always open to um, hear and connect with other educators. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Awesome. All right. Well, Kara, thanks so much for joining and sharing your story with us today, your expertise. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. Our goal at the end of every episode is to have a student in the guest's life say thank you to or tell a story about a teacher who has made an impact on them. Today, we have Jacob saying thank you to Ms. Tabaris. I want to thank Ms. Tabaris, who was my second grade teacher. I want to thank her because she always helped me with work that was challenging. She was also really nice. It was sad because that was the year of COVID, so I only got half a year with her, and I never really got a chance to say goodbye. Thank you, Mr. Barris. You're the best. Thank you for this kind message, Jacob. And thank you to Ms. Tabaris for making work fun, even when it's challenging. And even though Jacob couldn't say goodbye to you in person, you've made a huge impact on his life. If you haven't yet today, go thank an educator for all they're doing for us. This has been the Employee Experience in Education podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks and have a wonderful day.